We're all familiar with automation taking blue-collar jobs, but how worried should white-collar knowledge workers be? I'd say pretty worried. In fact, I'd worry about your own human role as a podcast host as well. Wait, what? Don't believe me. Let's find out. Maintaining a work-life balance keeps getting harder, but it doesn't have to. This is The Big Balance, a podcast for anyone struggling to stay ahead or even just keep up with work, life, and everything in between. Join us each week for practical advice you can actually apply to get a little sanity back in your day. All right, are you ready? Are you ready for this stupid, stupid thing that I did? You are very excited about it, so I'm, I, very, I'm very excited. excited about it as well. Very excited. Okay, so I'm going to start by asking you, John, you familiar with ChatGPT? Yes. Yes. Uh, it, who who isn't in, in today's day and age? I know. Well, here's the thing. I was the last kid invited to this party. I, I have, I, I'd heard of it. I've never really played with it before. I haven't and used it. And now I can't stop. I, I will I will fully say I haven't used it. It is obscenely fun to the point where so okay, let me let me take a step backwards uh, and also intro the episode a little bit. So entire idea for this episode came from a big initiative my company has. We're trying to automate things wherever we can. One of the things that we do, this is an example, we have some software that we use that if you want to download a report, you have to click this, scroll down, check these three boxes, and click export, pick your location. So once, you know, you know, you know what it's like to download a file. It's downloading a file. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah, but yeah. it's if you have to do 10 or 20 reports, it's that times 10 or 20. So it could take like a half hour of your life just going into the system and pulling reports. Not fun. So somebody, some egghead in my company decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to use this bot to do this for us. So all it does is automates mouse clicks up until it hits a certain criteria. Like if there's no more reports to run, you're done. And it sounds so simple and it sounds so stupid and it's, it's stupidly effective. It's a really good thing to do. So that's what I want to talk about today was automation, but it's automation in two directions, right? There's the positive side of automation there's also a, a seedy underbelly, a dark side, which is not unknown, not unfeared, right? It's taking our jobs. So that's the idea of today. But getting back to this stupid thing I did, because I'm very excited about it. I wanted to see what ChatGPT could do. So I've been playing around with it. And one of the things that I asked it, just to see how it would do, hey, ChatGPT, Write an Italian sonnet about two business consultants who start a podcast to discuss work-life balance. That is not where I thought you were going with this. <laughs> you, where, well, first, where I thought you were going to have it write our intro or something. Yeah, I thought it was going to like write our intro or something. We this probably is, could ask it to do that. Shakespearean. It is. It's beautiful. Uh, so I want to. I want to have you listen to this, and I want to get your thoughts on how well it did. Because I'll be crushed if you're like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I recognize that music. In the world of business, two consultants met, each with a passion for their work and more, but found their lives out of balance, and yet, they sought to fix it, and a podcast bore. They talked of how to manage work and play, how to find time for loved ones and for rest, and shared their stories, hoping to convey 
a message that could help those who were stressed. They found success, and people tuned in fast. Their words are balm for those in need of aid. For work-life balance is a task that lasts, and many seek a path that has been laid. So here's to two consultants and their quest. May their podcast help many find some rest. How was that? that? That was that was excellent. I, I you know what? Thank you, Chat GPT. Well, he, here's the it. here's the issue I have. I haven't asked it for things like, "Hey, write an elevator pitch for our show." I feel like it would do a better job than I would, which is sad. It it you know what? I'm I'm gonna have to start using it just to do my job for me. Right. Oh, is that foreshadowing? That's foreshadowing. That's very good. See, Chat GPT couldn't foreshadow that well. So you have a you have a leg. It misses the human element. Yeah, the human No, but that's exactly what I wanted to talk about today because at the end of the day, how much and be honest. All right. I, I know everybody wants to think very highly of themselves, what they do every day in their job. But taking a step back. I will admit that, I don't know, a good half of my day is spent doing little things that don't require a whole lot of brain power, all right? Easy example, anything we're doing in Excel, taking data from a Word document or an email or wherever, chunking it into Excel, doing whatever math and calculations we need, spitting it out, that's a a not insignificant part of you know a lot of white collar people's day absolutely i i am already thinking of applications to help me with rfps and things like that because there's a lot of manual tasks associated with that if it could take any of that off of my plate i would be more than happy to to oblige i haven't used this i don't know if it's even released yet but one of my coworkers was telling me i'm uh, word of warning not warning just kind of a, a footnote we are not being sponsored by goddamn anybody, so this is not a paid show episode, uh, in this case for ChatGPT or for uh, what I'm about to say, Microsoft. Microsoft has, I guess, a product that's either out now or will be out. I think it's called just like Pilot, maybe, like Microsoft Pilot. It does a lot of automation for you. Like If you need to write an email, it will write emails for you. It'll create calendar items, populate it with an agenda, send it out to people. It basically like an office assistant would do. So I have a big problem with any automation that Microsoft proposes because it still doesn't understand the grammatical syntax of when I'm writing an email. It doesn't know the difference between uh, singular and plural, and it drives me nuts. It wants to correct my this to these or or whatever. I, I It thinks that I'm trying to speak in singular or plural and it recorrects it. And I'm like, no, you're doing too much. Do less. <laughs> well, what? Well, how about this, though? What if that was just like a starting point and you went through and like spiffied it up from there? It's still a, a chunk of time. Oh, now. A- absolutely. If, if it can eliminate some of the mundane drafting components of my day when we're talking about emails. Yeah, I'm all on board. Yeah. Understood that there's going to have to be a manual edit review process. Yeah, I'm fine with that because it does save me time if it can at least do even 60% of the work for me. That's that's time that I, I'll never get back. But I'll tell you what attracts me to just automation in general when it comes to well, the button click thing. That's pretty cool. I like that. Like anything that can eliminate just futzing around and spreadsheets. Or, that's great. But the biggest thing for me... And I've maintained this for a long time. I like 
doing a job. I want to get my hands into a problem, try to solve it, kind of build strategy. I don't like planning meetings. I don't like writing agendas. I don't like note take. All this stuff is just incredibly boring to me. I don't like the administration of a job, which is a shame because if you're trying to go, you know, middle management or up, it's basically consumes your career. So I don't know what that means for me. But the fact that like all of the things that this kind of technology can do, even if it's limited to these kind of tactical admin tasks, that's exactly what I want to get rid of. So that's great for me. 100% agree. And I, I don't know if this is me shooting above my level or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, if I, if I could just be a think tank or a talking head that doesn't have to do any work, yeah, that would be amazing. That would be ideal. I could just sit there and pontificate and the work gets done around me. Yeah, that's great. Chat GPT, if you want to be my executive assistant, be my guest. And it's not even just chat GPT. I'm, I'm not even sure of the limits of what chat GPT can be applied to or what other There's probably other AI it. tools, right? Like we're, we're just using that as the all-encompassing umbrella term. So when we say chat GPT, any AI automation tool, I guess, uh, that can draft in conversational manner is what we're referring to. You know what I wonder now, and I kind of want to do this, um, I want to ask ChatGP to recommend different AI solutions to automate different tasks that I find. That's actually probably a good idea to find <laughs> ways to do it. Work kind of smarter, like a, not harder. Get the, get the AI to find other AIs for me to use. It's like AI inception kind of thing. Well, but that's and that's that's the interesting thing, though. Speaking of AI doing AI things, programs doing programming type things, that's some foreshadowing for the second half of this episode as well, the dark side of it. But before we get there, just kind of thinking out loud of things that I do and some technologies that I already have access to. Because, again, I'm not, I'm not even aware of all the different tech that's out there that could work. Uh, but OCR, optical character recognition. Is that really, is that what that stands for? I never Googled that, but I, I've used OCR in my jargon for the last probably five years. Yeah, but like Microsoft Office products have that. Like you can paste a picture into, like minimally I know you can paste it into OneNote and you can hit copy and paste this plain text. It doesn't always do a great job, especially if it's fuzzy, but it does a pretty good job. Like I said, that button click automation. That's great. In Excel, I'm too stupid to learn macros, but a lot of people aren't. A lot of people do a lot of work in macros. When I'm thinking about like my day-to-day, -day, you tell me if this sounds like yours or what you do, but I get in, uh, I have a bunch of meetings on my calendar, or I have a bunch of events I need to do. Already, Microsoft Big Brother is getting in my face with that. It, I forget what it's, what it's called, but Microsoft has like a, hey, here's some things that are probably relevant to you, like a digest every day. So that's part digest of what I do. is what they call it. Oh, is it? Yeah. There you go. The week, the the daily digest. I get it every morning. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a bit overwhelming, but it's helpful, right? Because I've actually I've little like legitimately forgotten about tasks that I only remember because Outlook said, "Hey, you're being lazy, not doing it." So this valuable <laughs> tool. But yeah, so I'm getting emails, sending emails, not even like highly strategic emails. Just hey, this is what I'm working on. Go build some things in Excel. 90% of my day is not very strategic. It's very tactical. Really, the only things I'm doing that, well, I was about to say that AI can't do, but I, I guess I can't actually make that claim. Uh, meeting with clients and actually going through their issues and solutioning them. But that's not even a lot of my day. A lot of my day is just support of those activities. If we're, if we're talking strictly 
answering emails, talking on the phone. Yeah. Uh, 95, 95% of my day, right? Now, the the other fun thing, uh, and this is just an aside, I also got a Roomba recently. And that's kind of automated. It's like house automation, right? It, like, cleans my house for me. Did you name your Roomba is the real question because in the app it gives you the option to name it. My, my daughter named our Roomba. She named it Marty. Marty the Roomba. That's a, that's a great name. It's also the name of my father. So she, she interesting, named, interesting choice. She named the Roomba after her grandfather. Great name, interesting choice. Ours is named Celeste. That's very sleek. That's a very like. It's from a uh, Big Little Lies. One of the characters' name is Celeste, and we would just quote, "Your husband is ill, Celeste, but so are you." And we said that nonstop <laughs> to where the Roomba has now it's named Celeste. So we tell her to go home, Celeste. Nice. You're drunk. When she's like, I can't get my damn Roomba to go home. No, it, it just, right, it so just your, yours doesn't either. Ours like doesn't know where its home is. No, it just flips out, dies, and <laughs> yep, I, you pick yeah. it up. Yeah, pretty much. It's like I got stuck on a cliff. I'm like what? What are you talking about? And I just go. It's just like stuck under a table. You look at it. It's over the stairs. Right? No, it does not even anywhere near stairs. It just it gets stuck under a table. Can't move. Says I'm stuck. I'm near a cliff. Wigs out. Dies. And then I had to p- carry it back. It's, like, it's not that. It's not artificially intelligent, Marty. Well, regardless whether this was your intention or not, I think this is a perfect example of automation and then still the manual oversight that's required. So as much as we'll always have something that will automate these tasks for us, there's still going to be some type of human or manual input to oversee, make sure it's doing the job because you can't trust it until we get to a point to where I know for a fact that Celeste is going to vacuum everything and then go home and not have to worry about falling off a cliff. Uh, yeah, until then, I, I, I still think that humans are going to have jobs. Well, here's the creepy thing. Remember the show, The Outer Limits? It was like, I don't know whether it came before or after The Twilight Zone, probably kind of riding on Twilight Zone's coattails. It's the same basic show. And they rebooted it in the 90s. It's, yeah, it's ringing a bell. Yeah. Yeah. There was an episode, I think it was The Outer Limits, where it's these spaceships, each one has one crew member, and the spaceship just like beats the crap out of him, and his only job is to keep it repaired and keep it operational, but it kind of treats him like an asshole. Uh, And at the end, it's revealed, like, there is no human race anymore. It's just these few spaceships, each with the one mechanical operator going through space, living their spaceship lives. And it's like, that's... Is that what we're saying is a possible end result of, well, that still needs human interaction. That doesn't make me feel good either, because at the end of the day... And this is actually going to directly lead into the second half of the show. If the only role we have left is machine operator, that doesn't leave a whole lot of room for career potential. Not at all. And now I'm curious about The Outer Limits. And it was in 1995 that they rebooted it. So it was in syndication between 95 and 2002. The series is a revival of the original series that aired from 63 to 65. So... You were spot on, totally on the coattails of The Twilight Zone. I love The Twilight Zone, man. What a great show. I do, too, man. Twilight Zone marathons, like, every 4th of July. Right? Yes, on Sci-Fi or whatever the hell they're calling themselves yeah. now. Siffy. Siffy, yes. Siffy now. Yeah, yeah. It's S-Y-F-Y. S-Y-F-Y. Why the, why the change? That was a stupid, stupid mark. That marketing team could have used some AI automation to free up more time to think of a better name. We're getting very off topic now. 
But uh, yes, that's that's let's let's lead into the second half on that kind of future, the dark futuristic tones of what's left for us after the machines come for our jobs. Up next on Siffy. When I think of automation taking people's jobs, and I guess this is my age, I still think of like the blue collar worker from the 50s losing his job at the Ford plant to machinery, right? Like that's in my mind, that's what I think of. No, absolutely. I I think of somebody who is losing their job to, I guess now what we would call like RPA, like robotics process automation or whatever it is, right? Yeah. So I, I think of somebody who's losing their job that was once a manual input that is now robotic. I have to imagine... It's, it's it's not even a percentage of assembly type jobs that went automated since again like the 50s it would be really it's probably damn near 100% and the only people actually doing things by hand are kind of like the boutique craft elements right you could make the argument somebody like a mechanic right isn't there even computers or something that you just plug into modern cars to give you a diagnostic right there's not even the I guess preliminary. I, 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 you know what I'm saying, right? Like th- that first, that first look. I do, yeah. No, yeah. That's one of the big issues that car companies had over the pandemic. They couldn't produce enough vehicles. Why? It's not they lacked the rubber for tires or metal for for the bodies. There weren't enough chips. Yep. Cars are just a collection of computers <laughs> at this point. So, yeah, a lot of computer maintenance, a lot of computer diagnostics. It's not you know, the the craft of the mechanic. It's the car has sensors, the car has computers, and you plug it in and then you figure out what's wrong with it. That being said, there's somebody who still does that work. So I guess that is probably point counterpoint to automation making our jobs a little bit easier, but it still requires that human touch. Yeah, we we still haven't figured out how to have a robot or a computer do anything more than diagnose the issue. We can we still require that mechanic to come in and fix things. Well, let's look at an example that's maybe a little bit simpler, but it's still kind of taking an order and producing something based on it. Let's look at things like McDonald's, right? Like right now, even my local McDonald's, we still have cashiers. But it's not like the row of four or five that, I guess, from my childhood, it's like one dude, and he's maybe there half the time, and it's just kiosks that you order from. And that's really only half of the equation. As far as making a burger, you don't need people to really do that either, right? There's machinery that can do that. Like McDonald's, I I was about to use the word threatens. I I feel like that's probably not the right word, but McDonald's... Franchise owners have said, hey, if minimum wage keeps rising and people keep demanding more money, it's going to make it more palatable to invest money in automation, not just the ordering kiosk, but actually having somebody put together the meals too, because it's not that complicated of a process to put a burger patty on a bun, put some mustard, put some ketchup, wrap it up. So does your McDonald's have like those self-serve kiosks? I don't, I, I, I hardly ever go inside to a McDonald's. So it's, if I'm going, it's the drive-thru. Do, I, I haven't been inside like the, the dining room area. Is that kind of standard, like part for the course now? I only, <laughs> I feel like an old man when I say, I only go inside because 
and and I don't know whether this is the kiosk. It keeps people. It keeps jobs. <laughs> and no, it keeps people honest. Is what I I do not. I don't think I have gone the last ten times. We'll just say that I've gone through the drive-through. My order's been right maybe twice. Like it's just it's uh, yeah, never no. right ever. <laughs> That's an occupational hazard. I assume something's going to be wrong and nothing against the people who are working there. I, I think there's there's so many different... Uh, it's like whisper down the lane talking through that speaker that they probably can't hear me right anyway. And it's also hectic as shit. You got, a, you got a line of cars outside. You got irate people inside. You got kids making a mess. And my fat ass is doing custom orders too. So yeah, there's that. I don't understand. You know, I tried to do... The last time I tried to make a custom order for McDonald's was I asked for an Egg McMuffin without the ham on it. I destroyed somebody's mind with that request. I get the, the the audacity. Bring me up for the egg McMuffin, and then just take the ham off. Yeah, it's like you know. But no, anyway, I don't. So I don't hold it against anybody. But no, when I go through the the drive through, it's always messed up. But would it be messed up? So let's go back to to John's point. Let's go back to the Roomba. Is it going to be a Roomba experience where it tries to put the patty on the bun and just flings it across the room and hits a wall and now my, my meal's messed up? Maybe. I would hope My not. burger is on a cliff. Yeah, my, my burger's on a cliff. Help me. I'm going to powering down, <laughs> flipping out. But again, if my orders have a 50-50 chance of being messed up anyway with a human, I don't know. I mean, automation's only getting better and better. So I would maybe support a, uh, an automated burger. But yeah, so that's a very, I guess it's not simple. I guess it's complicated when you actually go and build it out. But compared to a car repair, that's pretty simple. But as time goes on, as machinery gets more sophisticated, I could imagine a large enough car repair facility where it can be all automated. You put the car on the, uh, I don't even know what you call it, like the lift, right? Yeah. All the parts are in the same damn place. So ostensibly, if a computer can eyeball, you know, electronically eyeball where the car is sitting, I would imagine a lot of things could be like, like an oil change, oil change it could do, right? Like, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know where the future will go. I don't know if anybody really does, but I know there's a lot of examples uh, around today. Think about other things that people do that you might not even know are automated. You're, you're a sports guy, right? Yep. What's your game? Pick a game. Well, well, Season opener just happened, or home opener is scheduled for tomorrow. So baseball. Actually, that's a really good one. Um, so baseball, really a stat game, right? Like how many stats define a game of baseball? It's 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 staggering the number of well the number of numbers they're creating new statistics to measure daily. Growing up, it was you know ERA, batting average, like those stats that you can quantify. There's what, what what was OPS is now OPS plus. There's advanced analytics. You have war things like that. So what it, it almost feels like we've delved into the the realm of qualitative analytics when it comes to baseball, which is something I think is not unique to baseball, but is very it's extremely prevalent in the sport. Now let's go back. And think about what AI does really well. AI is really good at taking data points, analyzing it, and developing summary information about it. Shit, we're talking about robot umpires in baseball. So that's that's even another level. That's taking it a step further. We're now entrusting advanced analytics to now directly impact the game, which is, I think, 
wholly unique to that sport. I, I don't think it exists anywhere else. I don't know. Like, when you think about it, I'm not a NASCAR guy, but I think it's always, like, this photo finishes, right, where you're using camera equipment to see who passes the line first. That's that's technically automation, Which, right? that's a pass-fail scenario. There is a bit of, like, when you look at NASCAR using that example, it's a yes-or-no scenario, whereas with baseball specifically, there's kind of – well, it depends on the batter in the box. It depends on the size of the hitter. It depends on where it's caught, things like that. So I think there's a there's an element that's a little bit more unique to the human element of baseball, which a lot of folks will tell you the more changes we make, the less you have kind of gut baseball. It's it's more it's all analytics and there's no more of the eye test, which I think there's pushback on that. Now, that's a whole other topic that we're not going to go down, but as you can <laughs> tell, I'm I'm passionate about it. <laughs> well, here's to get back to the point I was going to make and getting back into the stream of the conversation. Do you ever read any articles about baseball? Like, hey, last night's game, sports page. Of course, yes. There are AI programs that, again, AI is great at synthesizing data, kind of looking at data, extracting meaning from it. There are programs that extract all those stats from a game and based on language learning models are able to write news articles about baseball games that you cannot tell were not written by a human. Like it looks the exact same. You're blowing my mind right now that I didn't even consider that as an option, but now you say it, it seems so obvious. Yeah. Like baseball, more than any other sport, you can you can pinpoint to specific moments in the game and it strikes, it's hits, it's things like that. Like using basketball as the counterexample, it's constantly moving back and forth to where what is considered a, a, a pivotal or, or, or a game-changing moment is a lot easier, I think, to determine in baseball because of just the nature of the game. So you're blowing my mind right now that I hadn't even considered the fact that this has probably been going on. Yeah. And this is old news for those types of folks. And you didn't even know it. The people who had sports writing journalistic careers phased out and you weren't even aware it was happening. And that's that's what blows my mind. Like, again... I, when I'm thinking about automation taking jobs, I'm going all the way back to Ford employees losing their jobs to giant heavy robotics. Really, the most my brain has evolved the argument from there is, you know, things like McDonald's where we could automate a burger. I always stay kind of blue collar with it. When you really think about it and you kind of do some research into it, it's the white collar jobs, it's the knowledge worker jobs that are really more at risk. And I think a lot of people realize, a lot of people listening right now are blissfully ignorant that a lot of what they do can be automated away. Another example from my past, so I, I was in, in the advertising world, I was in media buying for a while. So basically saying where ads should be placed. There's this beautiful, wonderful thing called programmatic buying. It's an AI-based process that does it for you in real time. That gets rid of an entire uh, type of job in the media buying world. Coding. I mentioned this at the, at the first half. AI can write computer code. And that's like a, a mindfuck right there. Computer programs writing computer programs. That's like the start of Skynet. Right. That's 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 the beginning of the end. Well, that's that's specifically where I think of when I think of like chat GPT and the application in a modern context. And I don't even want to say a modern context, but in a in a scenario that's extremely relevant to me, my company right now is going through the preliminary steps to consider like a chat GPT tool to do just that, to automate some of the coding and developer work. And I think that is 
top of mind for all of my folks at my company right now because of the application and because of the time save that it'll bring them. Now, here's my question to you. You might not even know the answer, but this is the question. This is the pivotal question that I think kind of is going to show whether this is a beautiful thing that's going to help all of us or a very bad for the worker kind of thing. So your company is looking into these things. Let's say that you know we have a 10-person team. A good 50% of their time is spent doing all this stuff that can be automated. My question to you, what are they planning on doing with those five other people? Because there's really there's two choices here, right? Number one, we can say, hey, the more we free people up from these mundane tasks, the more we can focus on building them up, training them to be more strategic, to do higher level thinking jobs, more fulfilling for them, better pay. The company makes more money because they have better people. But that's a very long-term game, right? And it's expensive. It's expensive to train people. uh, And it's also expensive from an opportunity perspective to say, I don't need this guy right now because I automated his job, but I'm going to keep him on the payroll anyway. The other option, it's much faster. And so much more short-term gain, I'm just fire those five people. So that's the big question to me. What are these companies, what is your company going to do? If we automate away all of these tasks, what are the people going who are doing those jobs today? I think that I think that's a fair question. I also think that is somewhat of a moral conundrum that every executive is going to be faced with in coming years. I can tell you right now, specifically looking at my company, we've made a, a conscious effort and a conscious decision that we don't want to have a reduction in force. We don't want to have to let folks go or furlough or, or lay people off because we want to reinvest in kind of strategic thinking. We're, like many companies, going through a migration effort to go away from on-prem into a more cloud suite. And with that comes a lot of additional tasks. And I think that we're thinking instead of reducing our workforce or trying to kind of fit more bodies in there, it's let's think about this strategically. Let's freeze our hiring so we have... Yeah, we're not in a position to where we need to let folks go because we automated the work. Sure, I'm sure there's a lot of folks who are probably inundated with menial tasks day in and day out, and they just feel like they're up to their eyeballs with a bunch of bullshit. But long-term goal, I think that's what we're doing. We're doing the long play, the slow play, because we don't want to be in a situation to where we're making that decision to just cut a significant portion of our workforce because we automated the task. I love that idea. And I think if more people took the time when looking for jobs to look into things like that, that's actually a really great interview question. Now that I'm thinking about it, what does your company plan on doing in the future related to things like automation? How are you going to capitalize on it? Because what you're talking about, that has long-term potential for employment versus I'm thinking things like Google. Google went from the whole 20% doing other tasks that aren't related to your job resulted in things like Gmail getting created to cutting out that 20%. So now we're just doing the the rote tactical tasks that we were hired to do. And now Google's actually laying off thousands of people. Companies like yours, definitely commendable that they're doing that. We know there's also companies on the other end who are looking at this as a way to make a short-term bump for their investors by getting rid of headcount. And that's where the scales land on that is ultimately, to me, going to kind of determine, (laughs) is this going to be a great thing for us or is this going to be uh, kind of the, the beginning of a cyberpunk dystopian nightmare going forward. And I really don't know. 
I, and I wish we had the answers and I wish we could say that one way is right and one way is wrong. Only time will tell. I can say that to my point, that's the moral question that executives are asking themselves right now. So I, I hope that everyone's compass is on the straight and narrow or points due north. But I think we've all seen probably I'm sure you guys have figured out listening that we tend to have a, a cynical approach from time to time. So I'm I don't trying need to, be to but I usually do. Yeah, no, we, we, we do. That's a fact. Uh, but I'm hoping to take this newfound optimism and apply it throughout the rest of the season. I just I hope everyone's compass is pointing to north. Well, I do actually have a high note, a good note to leave off the episode on. It's actually very related to you and your other side hustle that you got going on. Uh, have you ever heard is Japanese terms that I apologize in advance for butchering? Uh, have you ever heard of kintsugi or wabi sabi? Uh, <laughs> I've heard of wasabi. <laughs> that helps <laughs> automating your sushi roll. No, so it's it's this idea that so wabi sabi is flaws aren't just something to deal with. It's beauty in nature is because of those flaws, not in spite of it. And I'm I'm massively probably misquoting the true nature of that. But that's near enough for this show that's not about uh, Japanese culture. And then Kintsugi is essentially living that ideal out where you take a broken vase and you put it back together and the cracks between pieces you fill with like gold. And it's a it's beautiful artwork. But the idea there for both is it's the imperfections that make things valuable, that make things beautiful. And if you're wondering how that applies to you, who does nothing with pottery, heard an interesting story uh, about music, right? Jazz particularly. That's right where my brain went. The imperfections are what make the performance. So there, there was a study about jazz being played, people saying, which version of one song sounds better? The two were imperceptibly similar, but people overwhelmingly preferred one over the other. And it took musical experts to really tell the difference, and it came down to timing. In one version, the timing was perfect from instrument to instrument, part to part, flawless timing between them. And that's not the one that people preferred. What people preferred was where the timing was a little off going from one musician to the other. And the human element of that, and we're going to go back, I forget what episode we were originally talking about this. You know, when you're playing with your band, how much of that is just kind of perception? How much of that is intuition going from one part to another when you're just jamming out? That takes a, a millisecond of time to transition in your own mind, but those milliseconds off is what makes the composition really pop to people. It's, it's the imperfection in the music. It's the human element in the music that makes it beautiful. And that's something that, you know, it's a human quality. So that's, that's, a, that's a point for us versus the Roombas of the world. 100%. And I think it's the old adage of it's not what you play, it's how you play it. And it's not what you play, it's what you don't play, especially when it comes to jazz. Those blue notes, those in-betweens that you will never be able to take the human element out of music. There, there's already automated or AI-created music, but it's not what we listen to on the radio. It's not in top 40. I'm sure there's a lot that goes into that that may be tangentially related or at least a, a subset of that. But at the end of the day, we're listening to real people doing real things. So I, I hope that that is what the trend continues to be. 
as it pertains to music and corporate real life whatever you want to call it because you can never take the human element out of it lest we become inhuman (laughs) right and you know what with i think we're going to call it there we're going to start transitioning into our 100 human made beautiful outro song and we're gonna call it a night i love that a real human made that that was not automated (laughs) (laughs) thanks for tuning in again to the big balance podcast and as always please help us out by liking subscribing and leaving us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts until next time Oh, God, it's like rotting cow flesh just in your mouth for days.